Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use a code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. Hi, I'm Jamie Rogers and you're listening to Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi guys, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. I would just like to say before we start, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everyone out there. Really appreciate you supporting the podcast and giving your feedback and suggestions on who I should have on as guests and what we could do to improve the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Unfortunately, we didn't get to 100 episodes. That was our goal for the last year. We got to 87, so uh, we're getting closer and closer to that 100th episode, and hopefully uh, we can do something big for that, that episode. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to all the guests that came on last year and gave me their time. I really do appreciate it. Today we'll be speaking to Jamie Rogers. Now, Jamie was born in Michigan in the United States and moved to Sydney, Australia when she was a young girl. At the young age of 14, she trained for the Olympic team, but unfortunately, due to an injury, she was unable to compete. She studied the Bachelor of Sports and Exercise, and she also has a Master's of Business and Marketing. In 2009, she started working with Tabcorp as a promotional manager and then a media presenter. I first saw Jamie on TV when she was working for the Maddie Johns footy show where she would give tab updates. Uh, Jamie also works on Sky Radio as a presenter and she's also a part of the radio program Big Sports Breakfast. Now in August of this year, Jamie is going to swim the English Channel and she is hoping to raise $50,000 for the Gotcha for Life charity which is raising awareness for mental health support and lowering the suicide rate in australia 
But before we go, please go to our website. We are at Podbean. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. It's been all upgraded and it's a brand new interface, so uh, please go there and check it out. We also have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, to name a few. We also have a YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribing to get all the latest updates at Tell Craig Your Story. We have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners. Now the first question I asked Jamie was what it was like to be the presenter, the Jane McGurra Pink Day, at the fourth test of the Ashes at the SCG on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Yeah, as I said, the atmosphere, it was Jane McGrath Day yesterday, which is a really special day on the cricket calendar, and yeah, brilliant. And you got to, got to be with some uh, presenters as well, some of the top nuts, Steve Waugh, I saw was one of them as well. Do you sort of pinch yourself once in a while, like the people that you're meeting, like the big celebrities, sporting celebrities, does it just come natural now? No, I mean, I do. I, the thing that for me is like they're all just normal people. So I think as long as you right. sort of remember that they are like all of us, they're normal people. I interviewed Brett Lee yesterday and he is absolutely hilarious. And when he's telling yeah. jokes and his stories on tour and you just think, yeah, you are just like all of us. So you do have moments where you stand there and think, wow, I'm working alongside a former Australian test captain or uh, some other great from a different sport. Like I work with Laurie Daly on the Big Sports Breakfast and he's an NRL great and you do have moments yes. where you think, wow, I can't believe I'm sitting alongside Laurie Daly and Michael Clark. But, you know, they're just like us. And it was the same at the cricket with the Doug Walters and the Kerry O'Keefe's. They are great people yeah. to be working with and I'm really, really lucky that I get to do it. get an opportunity to sort of sit down with them outside of work and, you know, all these sort of stories that... So Doug Walters in particular, I have. I've interviewed Doug quite a few times and I know that he likes to get to the cricket right at the first ball. So I tend to get there at the same time so I can sit there with him. We have a good two hours together before the lunch break, which is when I usually interview him. And then we tend to stay together after as well for the next session. So I can really pick his brains and listen to his stories. And because my father-in-law is a, a diehard cricket fan from that era. So I like to get right. this pass it on to my father-in-law. And yeah, so Doug Walters in particular, but I work with some of the greats as well, as I mentioned with Laurie Daly and Michael Clark. So we often get to go out, but at those times, it's literally because they're my colleagues, you just go out and have your normal Friday work drinks or whatever it might be. So you're just like each other, really. So it's nothing too special when you're going out with those two because they're just like anyone else's colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, your 2021, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you. Tell, tell us about 2021. So it's up and down with COVID sort of period at the moment. So for you, do you want to just uh, a short summary of 2021? So 2021, I had a baby. So Archer was born at the start of 2021. I know 2022. Gosh, I'm losing track of time. No, he was born in 2020. Ignore that. He was born in 2020. You can <laughs> time just merges into one when we've had this yes. pandemic. Um, 2021 yes. for us was, look, in New South Wales, we were in lockdown for about four months straight. But I was really lucky because I work in radio. So we were still able to go into the studio. We were all having daily tests to make sure that we didn't have COVID and no one did. So 
no one else in the office was there, but thankfully I still had a daily interaction with other people outside of my household. So I felt really blessed that I could at least just step out. Um, unlike my husband who was stuck here working at home, we've got two kids who were driving him up yeah. the wall. You're trying to have meetings and you can hear them <laughs> screaming in the background. And so it's hard and everyone's done it tough. So yeah. that's part of the reason why I'm trying to raise money for Got You For Life, because I feel like everyone's had a mental health challenge within this pandemic in their own way and 2021 let's hope 2022 is a fresh start and this pandemic can go behind us yeah absolutely and you and your family were you staying safe in this sort of time like when the sort of covid broke out 2020 yeah 2020 which was when archer was born um yeah, when it all started archer was born in february and that was when things were all starting to be spoken about that there was something that was going on. I don't think anyone foresaw what was coming. But we've been, I had COVID over Christmas just recently. New South Wales has had a, a really big uh, explosion of cases. Um, but thankfully, I'm vaccinated. So for me, my symptoms were really mild and no one else in my house caught it. Um, but other than that, we've been really lucky. We've all been really healthy and the children were still able to go to daycare and their teachers were all under really strict health protocols to make sure that they didn't bring COVID into the daycare centres. So it's been a disrupted year, but in comparison to other people, I know that I'm really well off in our circumstances in terms of still having a job, being able to go out to work. So I am really grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Was it like online schooling for your kids or was it, you know, still being able to go to school? I'm one thing that I said to everyone is I don't know how parents were doing it that had to work at <laughs> homeschooling because that yeah. just been a whole new level of difficulty. So I was lucky. My children are not school age. I've got Hudson, right. who's four, and Archer, who's almost two. And that meant that they could still go to daycares because my job, uh, I'm still classified as an essential worker because I'm news. And mm -hmm. because of that, that meant that they were able to still go to daycare. They didn't go every day, but they'd still go a few days a week. And that was enough for them to go out, interact with some of their friends, still have some learning, and then they would come home. So I take my hat off to the parents that have had to do homeschooling for all this period. I just couldn't imagine having to do that. And thankfully yeah. we didn't. So our kids just continued going to daycare during this time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to where you, where you grew up and where, where you were born. So I do believe it was, it was Sydney. I, I'm not sure exactly sure whereabouts in Sydney uh, you were born. So I was born in America. Oh, really? Well, there yeah, you go. so I'm um, dual citizen. So I was born in Michigan. I've got Australian parents, but they were moved over to the US for my dad's work. Oh. Uh, we were in Michigan for a very short time. It was long enough for me to be born and my mum to say it's the worst place she's ever been because uh, <laughs> it was snowing. And being from right. Sydney, warm Australia, she went to a place where it was like knee-deep snow. Right. Um, and then we moved to LA, which my mom said it was just amazing they they loved it um and my two brothers that are younger than me were born there and yeah we were there till we came back to Australia when I was six and that's when we have then lived in Sydney ever since then so I've done plenty of traveling but my home base has always been Sydney since we moved back from the US. All right and, and what was your dad mum and dad uh, work uh why were they traveling internationally? So my dad um, is in sales and the company that he was working for at the time was a global 
organization and my dad's results in Australia they just thought were so impressive they brought him over to the American office to try and help them lift out it they were in a really tough time so they brought him over there to try and fix it and they were only supposed to be there for a year and they ended up being there for six so a long time but an interesting time and you know we could look back on some pretty cool memories. Do you have any sort of memories uh, from the US? I mean you were very little at that stage. We were we were little, but it was definitely things like for my birthday, you'd always spend it at Disneyland. Um, we went to a lot of sporting fixtures. My family are all sport obsessed, which is probably why I'm still working in sport to this day. Right. So plenty of NBA games, plenty of uh, baseball, yeah. um, things like that. So, yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Interesting. Uh, I read that that's where you got your sort of uh, working with horse racing and, and uh, that your grandparents were involved yeah. in that. Is that, that correct? Yeah, so my grandparents were heavily involved in racing. They owned horses and they saw some success with their runners. And then my parents, this was on my dad's side, um, my parents had no interest in racing whatsoever. And it was something that I was just always drawn to. And I guess my grandparents seeing them around their horses, they they are a lot older. So I didn't have a huge influence from them. But from when I was with them and reading about their horses and seeing all their photos and their love affair of the industry and my dad always just said like it was just in your blood his right. dad was the same his parents were exactly the same where you just it's just in your blood it's just something that you love my dad hated it because he said every weekend he was out at Royal Randwick in a little suit rather than out playing <laughs> sport which is what he wanted to be doing right. um, which is something that I am conscious of because I take my kids out to the track quite a bit um, but then for me it was just something like what my dad said, I think it is just in your blood and I just always have loved it. And that's why literally my career and my life has always been around horse racing. Yeah. So when you when you come back to Australia, was, was there a bit of a change? Like obviously, you know, whole different climate, uh, culture. So was there a bit of a change there, you know, a, a time to adapt there? I think the biggest thing for me, um, I was definitely a very shy child and coming from America to another country where I had to be held back a year. Um, My age was fine, but because of the schooling over in the US, it just didn't marry up when we came to America. So I ended up having to repeat a year. And I had an American accent, which meant you stand out. And that was Mm. something that I just couldn't bear. And my mum said I would literally be sitting at home practising to sound like an Australian to the right. point where she actually said, we're going to have to send you to a speech therapist because you're actually sounding ridiculous. You don't sound American. You don't sound Australian. You actually starting to sound ridiculous. Um, wow. I didn't end up having to do that. But <laughs> it was because I, I am was, was naturally like a really shy, shy child mm. and was quite introverted. And to stand out and be different was something that was quite traumatic. And then also having to repeat a school year because yeah. my schooling was so mixed up. So... I repeated at a different school. I didn't have to see the same kids again when I repeated, but it was still something that is hard to get over. So you lose all your friends from another country and what you know, and then you come to a foreign country and have to, you sound different, you repeat a year. So yeah, it was definitely a traumatic time, but that was a long time ago now, I guess, but definitely traumatic when it was happening. And you've definitely lost that American accent. I can't pick it out at all. Very, very much so. It is long gone. And I think it was gone pretty quickly from what my mum has said, purely because I hated it so much and hated it <laughs> so different. Um, yes. It's more things come out where I still refer to a gas station and 
diapers <laughs> versus nappies and things like that. So there's a, still a bit of a, the American twang in there, but not too much. Yeah, right. And do you go back there and visit it often or? Not often. I've gone back on holidays with friends. Um, but yeah, definitely we haven't gone back as a family. It's always been something that I've done uh, as a teenager and older. And just with friends versus going back with my family because we don't have any family ties there. So right. all of our family are here. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a, a cool place. That is why I love American sports so much because our yeah. family have been around it for so long. And, yeah, so whenever I do go back, I make sure I go see the NBA or the NHL or whatever is on at the time. I saw you with a, in, on your Instagram. You had a Chicago Bulls shirt, so you're a bit of yes. a Bulls fan. Yes, I am a Chicago Bulls fan, and that does go back to when I was in Michigan. And right. my mum, so that all started. So we were in Michigan at the time that, as my mum describes it, this amazing young boy was coming through the ranks called Michael Jordan. And so we would drive um, to Chicago. So just the two of us, because my dad was always working, and we would drive and go and watch some of his um, games. So I've just got an affinity towards the Chicago Bulls because it yeah. was something that we did when I lived over in the US. I mean, how can you not? Like, they, they, were, they had such a good run there in the 90s, you know. It's hey, a, it's a great team to be on board. It is yeah. definitely the one I'm sticking with. My brothers are all Lakers fans um, just because they were in LA. But, yeah, Chicago Bulls all the way for me. Absolutely. Well, that, that's a good that's a good team. <laughs> it is a good team, and they're going really well this year. So this year, yeah. Let's hope they're, they're back. Mm, they got a very solid team this year. That, that's good yeah. to see. Gr- growing up in, in Sydney, tell us about that. You said you said earlier that you you're a shy person. Uh, I don't see that anymore. So uh, tell tell us about the change. And all of a sudden, uh, was it because you you made made new friends, or you know, were you doing plays to make yourself confident, or how did that all work? So it actually came through my job. So. Right. I I did do drama at school and I've got great friends who are all really outgoing, but the confidence in me only really started to come when I was sort of thrust into the role that I once did when I was doing these tab market updates. And prior to that, my mum would have to give me a list of talking points that I could say to people because I was just so shy and it would frighten me to go into a room where I didn't know anyone. But then when I was doing media, which is not my background, having to do that job and being forced to speak to people that I didn't know almost on a daily basis, luckily you end up, it's almost like that you fake it till you make it kind of thing. Like you had to, I had to pretend that I was okay when you would go into these situations and eventually you end up being fine because you've had to do it so many times. So I definitely think the shyness has gone away, but there still is an element of there where I can be uncomfortable in a room where I don't know anyone, but I'm definitely not as bad as what I was. And that's one thing that I always say I'm really thankful for with my job. I never in a million years would have thought that it would give me that confidence that I lacked so much as a a youngster right through up until my early 20s. Yeah. And has your preparation sort of changed? For for example, the cricket, uh, how much preparation do you do to to be in front of like a large crowd to to do that so the the good thing about um interviewing greats of a game or welcoming a function like what I've been doing Mm. and a place like the cricket I follow the cricket so if I didn't follow the sport you would you I would need to do a lot more um preparation and research than what I've done but because I'm sitting there watching it I'll just write the notes 
as it's all happening and then I can talk about it. Play, people like the Doug Walters and the Kerry O'Keefe, you do know a lot about them before you go in, but I will always, always research and be, I always think you're better off being over-prepared than under-prepared. Yes. I'm like you, you said you had four pages worth of notes. I guarantee you I would have come in with four pages worth of notes as well because there is nothing worse than having someone that's an interviewer that hasn't done their homework. Yes. Uh, and I would hate for someone to say that about me. So even though you know the sport or you know the person you're interviewing, it's always nice just to read about them because you might find yeah. some quirky little stat or something funny that they've done that can kind of break the ice and get them talking and open them up. So uh, even if I am following the sport, I, I will always do preparation going into something. And like you said, you, you, you're doing horse racing with your grandparents and then you're, you know, uh, basketball and, and sports in general. Like one of my one of my big sports, obviously being from Newcastle, uh, is the rugby league. Yeah. And that's where that's where I sort of I saw you for the first time on, on TV uh, going on the footy show. Yes, so, the Maddie John show. Maddie John show, yes. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. where I saw you for the first time. So do you actually – I'm – I'm not 100% sure. Was it is Manly your team? The, the Roosters. Seagulls? Roosters. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah, okay. But you know stuff like doing the Maddie John show. I'm so grateful to them as well because that's half the reason why you have to stop being shy because you're in a live environment with the most outgoing, crazy men that you don't know <laughs> where it's going to go. You actually come out of your shell so quickly because they are so funny and. You're sitting in an environment where you've got a studio audience, you've got Maddie, Hindy, like yeah. people that can just throw any question at you. And so you build your confidence. I did that show for about six years. Um, yeah. and, and during that time, I definitely know my confidence had to grow because of the people that I was surrounded by. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about the NRL uh, a little bit later. So you're doing the, the swimming for the English Channel to raise money. So let's go back to where it all began. So when did you actually sort of start uh, swimming in school? Well, I started swimming um, right from when I was really little. Um, right. it's, it's literally always been part of our lives. In fact, actually, I, I almost drowned. So my mum, we were sitting in oh, a wow. spa in the US and she said she just looked over and I was underneath the water just looking back at her. And she said yeah. it was just that frightening moment of watching your child who was I was only I think about 18 months at the time but they're so innocent they can't even think to get themselves back up out of the water so I was put into swimming lessons straight away and continued that when we came to Australia and I think swimming is such an important skill for anyone to have especially living in a country like Australia so swimming was always a massive part of my life Um, and I think when I was at school school work was something that I didn't enjoy Um, I you know, I, I was good at it, but I wasn't brilliant and I didn't find anything that I was super passionate about at school. So my outlet would be swimming. And because I was good at that, I was I was training, you know, nine times a week and competing around the country and, you know, went to nationals, went to the Olympic trials and yeah. broke my foot and swam through a broken foot at the Olympic trials. Um, I don't know, I've so- never made the Olympics. Um, tell us about but, tell us about that, Jamie, because uh, I mean that's that's a pretty important like saying you're training for the Olympics. I mean, not many people get an opportunity to do that. So it says here that you were was it 12 years old when you were doing that. So that's a very young age. So I, was, uh, I was 14 at the Olympics. 14, 14, yeah, right. Um, so I was 14 and I had a broken foot, 
And yeah, it was one of those things that I was definitely never going to make the Olympics. Um, you know, in my era was the Lisa Jones, Samantha Riley's, the Brooke Hansons. Like we had right. such an incredible era of swimming. You know, you look at even on the men's side during that period, that was Ian Thorpe, Michael Clem, you know, Jeff Hugel. It was, I think we're, we're back to the glory days now, but back yeah. to swimming, that was just the pinnacle of Australian swimming. So I had brilliant swimmers that I was up against all the time and I never would have beaten Liesl Jones. She was phenomenal from when we were younger. I swam against her when we were at nationals. And that was back when she used to fall into the pool. She was really bad at diving. Right, and my mom always right. used to say, Lisa would fall in. We'd all do these beautiful dives and then she'd come up miles ahead of everyone. So she was always brilliant. Um, but, yeah, so I, I did train for nationals. I qualified for the Olympic trials. I used to swim nine times a week. Um, there'd be quite a few double sessions. I would squeeze in school. We would then have competitions on the weekend. So my entire life, when I say my entire life is swimming, it literally was swimming. And uh -huh. my family also to an extent because they needed to be able to fit in driving me around or uh -huh. a swimming carnival or whatever it might have been. So, yeah, it, but it's a great sport to be involved in. And to this day, I still love training and being in the water. How difficult, I'm just thinking about like how difficult it is because you've got to get up super early in the morning to get in the, the pool and, and do your laps and I'm assuming you're doing your warm-ups as well. Like, does it get into a routine? Is that is that how the sort of stability? Very much so. So routine yeah. is probably the number one thing I think of like how I run my life um, and that's probably come from back in the swimming days. Yeah. So, yeah, you wake up, um, you know, at around, it was like 430 well, 4.15, I think it was, 4.15, I'd have to be at the pool around 5. Then we'd swim until 7. My mum would be there with breakfast and drive me straight to school. I'd be dry, drying my hair through the heat <laughs> events in the car so that I wouldn't be saturated when I'd get to school. Yeah. Um, and then I'd get picked up straight after school and we would drive straight back to the pool. And then while I was training, my mum would be driving my brothers around to their sport. She'd come back and get me at 7 o'clock at night and I'd go home. I'd often have dinner in the car go home, go to bed, wake up, do the exact same thing the next day. Sounds and then like you squeeze must... in there a run or some weights or whatever else yeah. your training schedule would be. Really, it sounds like your mum needs an absolute, a couple of gold medals herself, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, you don't realise it at the time, just how much they were having to do. But yes, yeah. my mum was the taxi during that time, getting up early, staying up late and fitting it all in with my brothers and I. We all go through it as well, but what about the peer pressure when you're getting like a little bit older there, you know, boyfriends uh, wanting to go out with other friends as well? Was that sort of an issue for you or you sort of sort of stick to that stick to that routine? It, it did start to become an issue as you sort of get a little bit older um, and, you know, I was swimming captain at school and during that time that was sort of your HSC year, so swimming mm. captain I was still swimming but I wasn't at that same level as what I was a few years before because I did have quite a lot of injuries my knees were absolutely ruined and they still are to mm. this day because I was a breaststroker and that frog kick over right. and has just stuffed my knees and my back so I was having to reduce all my training anyway around that time so it was sort of a natural I guess like the natural progression in terms of I was so injured it was the right time to yes I was swimming captain in year 12 but I definitely wasn't doing the same level as what I had been before so I was sort of more focusing on going out a little bit more and my HSC 
still doing some swimming, um, but it wasn't to that same extent as what it had been when I was younger. And Jamie, do you mind me asking you how, how you got that foot injury uh, that stopped you for the training? Yeah, so when I broke my foot, it was the most frustrating thing ever. My brother had an athletics carnival at a school called Knox, um, which is here in Sydney, up in Moronga. And he just wanted to show me this area, which is just this nothing area. And I tripped on a gutter that was probably a oh. centimetre high. It was just this tiny little gutter. And I just sort of fell over in an awkward position and I just snapped the bone in the side of my foot. So oh, it was wow. probably the most devastating thing at the time. There's, you know, mm. worse things have happened since then. But it, there's, it's tough when you've broken your foot. I was two weeks out from nationals at Perth when that happened. Mm. And I actually was at that carnival because I wasn't allowed to go on my school camp in case I got injured, funnily enough. Um, right. Didn't get injured there. Got injured on a one-centimetre gutter. And I missed nationals that year. And that was probably one of the toughest things that you have to overcome because you've worked so hard to qualify for these races, which previously you miss qualifying by one millisecond or two milliseconds. And then you have to start all over again the next year. So when you do finally qualify and you are out because you've broken your foot on a tiny gutter was just shattering. And Mm. to get yourself back up to start again, once my foot was better, um, to do it all over again to make sure that I could qualify the following year for Melbourne was was hard, but I did it um, because I wanted to get to that national level. As my mum said, you don't want to just be a state swimmer, you want to get to nationals, and yeah. that's what I wanted to do, and that's what it ultimately kept me going. But, yeah, nothing more shattering than not being allowed to go on your school camp, your year 10 school <laughs> camp, because you'll get injured, and then you break your foot on a tiny gutter. Yeah. But did it make you a stronger person? I, I definitely think so. I think mm. swimming makes you a strong person because yeah. it's one of those sports that you train nine times a week, two hours every session, so it's four hours, sometimes five hours a day. For a race, in my case, I was a 200 and 100-meter breaststroker, so they, they usually go for, you know, two and a half minutes. So you're training nine times a week, for one race that can go for two minutes. And if one thing doesn't go to plan in that two minutes, that whole year is done. It's worthless. So swimming makes you a strong-minded person and very resilient because you've got to be able to pick yourself up off the back of missing out by a millisecond to get going and do it again the next year. And I think that then helps you later in life because it builds up that resilience and – that toughness that I think you need in life. Yeah. And what, what's one of the proudest moments that you had in during that period uh, with you swimming? Um, I think probably the, one of the proudest moments I had would have been definitely when I did actually qualify for the Olympic trials and I was there on the pool deck. Yes, my foot was broken, but the fact that I was there and it was just the most incredible experience because because I had qualified for the Olympic trials, you know, you got your little proper lanyard that were allowed right. to win and watch all the different swimming events. And um, that was really cool. But I think as well, when I was swimming at the state level and I would finish, I think the, the furthest I got was, I think I finished fourth or fifth. And it was, yes, I missed the podium, but it was 
it was still such a great achievement because I had swam in Hawaii just before that and came back and ended up swimming one of the fastest times I ever swam. And that was really nice. So it's just those sort of rewarding moments or breaking records that are still um, held now and things like that are just, yeah, they're, they're special. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, it, it says here that uh, you have uh, two uh, degrees or one one master and one bachelor. Uh, yeah. You, have a, you have a bachelor in sports and exercise yeah. and a master of business and marketing. Yes. So uh, what was the decision there? Uh, were you able to still do swimming at that time or uh, was it a, a decision that, you know, okay, it's time to sort of plan for a career? So I've gone, I go through, I've gone through different phases. So during my uni time, I was running marathons and I did triathlons. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So I, yeah. I go through different phases of, I'm always training towards a goal. And I think having a goal is so important in life, whether it's training, so that it gives yes. you a purpose of, to get out of bed or to go to the gym, you actually have a purpose of what you're trying to achieve. So whether that's yeah running a marathon or doing a triathlon or swimming, whatever it might be. So during uni, I was very much into my marathon phase. Um, so I wasn't swimming as much, but I would still often just go to the pool every once in a while just to get some laps in and get that feel for the water again. So being a swimmer and coming from a family that was so sports obsessed, I knew I wanted to work in sport in some capacity, but I didn't know what kind of jobs were out there or what what was available. You know, I'm in year 12 and I had absolutely yes. no idea. So I literally went through the uni guide looking for anything that had some sort of mention of sport. And this one had sport and exercise management, which ended up being more of a sports science degree, um, which was interesting, but I knew pretty quickly that's not what I wanted to do. And um, I met some amazing friends that I still have now. So for me, I took that out of my science degree was that I've got amazing friends and sometimes I can apply my sports science, especially now that I'm swimming the channel. It's still in my head in a, in a little bit but after I finished that degree I didn't I still wasn't convinced on what I wanted to do and I and I really enjoyed the sports marketing components of that undergrad so mm. I decided to go do a master's um, now during this time I started working full-time at the Australian Jockey Club so I started working in racing right. um, while I was studying my master's how did you get involved with that was that is that uh, through like your, your grandparents sort of no. no, I actually just went onto their website and they had, thankfully at the time, it was just really lucky, they had a marketing coordinator role and I just applied for it because I was studying my Masters of Marketing at the time and right. uh, loved racing. I'd gone to the track so many times in the lead up to that. So just applied and thankfully I got the job and I continued to study my Masters part-time at that point um, from when I was at the AJC and took me forever to get it done but got there in the end what was that experience like getting getting that work experience you know do you think it sort of paved the way to where you are now um the AJC I mean yeah I mean everything paves the way to where you end up and you learn everything Mm. along the way and I think the the biggest thing for me when I was working at the Australian Jockey Club which is now the ATC um, was just getting that more insight into racing and really learning the ins and outs of how it all works, learning different components of it, because I obviously knew the horse ownership side and what it was like to be a guest on a race track, but I didn't really know much about the administration side of it. So 
that was really nice to be able to go and see all of that. And it was from the AJC is where I then got my role at Tabcorp and everything kind of went from there. Right. And then, yeah, Tabcorp, it says that you started in 2011, is this correct? Yeah, that'd be right. Yep. And how did that all come about again? Was it just another you know, applying for a job online or how, how, did, how did it all come about? So that came about um, the marketing manager at the time had contacted both myself and another marketing girl um, at the AJC as well as like it went out online, but it was just, you know, this job's available. And I remember thinking at the time, I didn't know much about the Tabcorp side of things. And I just thought it would be interesting just to go and see a different side of the business. Um, so I, again, just applied um, through online and ended up getting that job. And when I got to Tabcorp, and the thing about Tabcorp is that people never leave because it's such a huge business and you can go in so many different directions. And that's exactly what happened with me. I started yeah. there as also as a marketing coordinator. And at that point, I was the marketing coordinator of racing and sport. And then my role just became sport and they hired another lady to do racing. Um, and it was during that time, my boss was the one that came up to me and said, we want to change the perception of Tabcorp. We want people to have a face with it. We want it, We don't want to be this corporation that no one has a, a feel for. And he said, so you're starting on the radio next week. And I literally had no idea what I was doing. I was just this little marketing coordinator, shy. Um, and I remember we would write, it was a pre-recorded 90-second spot on RSN. It's a station in Victoria. And we would literally type out, uh, my direct boss and I would type out word for word what I was going to say in these either 60-second or 90-second pre-recorded interviews. And I remember I would sit there reading this print out over and over and over and over and over again so that I wouldn't make a mistake. Yes. And that we did that for ages and then I ended up going on to the Big Sports Breakfast as well, which was live spots. Um, and then the TV side of things started when we all went to NIDA. My whole marketing team went to NIDA for a team-building work day. And we had to do a piece to camera. And my boss at the time came up to me after and said, you shouldn't be doing radio. You need to be doing TV. And that's literally how those market updates were born. Right. He came up with this idea. And I still think it's genius because so many of our competitors copied that and they're still doing it. We still see so many of our competitors doing those market update style mm -hmm. ads, which we stopped a long time ago and moved on to different things. And we, and we saw some of our competitors literally copy. They had fake Jamies and fake Glenn Munsey's doing market updates. Um, and, it, and that exploded into something I don't think anyone ever, ever could have imagined. It was 30-second ads that we would play before sport, during sport. They were everywhere. Um, but, yeah, and then that's ultimately where my life had to change course because I was still doing a marketing job. I'd been promoted by that point. I was the marketing manager of Sky Racing. So I was doing the media, but then I was also working marketing So and also still studying my master's. Wow. <laughs> and I was doing these two full-time jobs because when I was doing my media, I was also going and sitting out at Sky Racing. We have our TV network that's attached to Tabcorp. And I'd sit out there with any spare second that I had 
I would go and sit out with our presenters at Sky and just sit on the end of the desk. I was off camera um, and I would just listen and watch what they were all doing and I could learn that way. And then the next day I'd go back to my marketing job, then go out to Sky whenever I had a free second um, and then try and squeeze my uni in there at some point too. And then so where do you, where do you squeeze you, sleep in there, Jamie? There's no time for sleep, Craig. There's no time for sleep. <laughs> bon Jovi, sleep when you're dead, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, but it was the only way, like, if you're given these opportunities, you have yeah, to yeah. take it to the absolute fullest because you don't know where they're going to go and you don't want to waste it. And luckily for me, it got to a point where these two full-time jobs actually weren't sustainable because you know, you can't keep doing two full-time jobs. So uh, my boss said to me, you need to make the decision. Do you want to go down the marketing path or do you want to go down the media path and we'll hire whichever one you don't want to do? And I said to him at the time, look, I've always got my degree. I had almost finished at that point. I was like, I've always got my degree to fall back on. And then whereas media, I may as well go and give it a shot now and I can always go back to marketing if it doesn't work out. And that's exactly how it's happened. I haven't had to go back to marketing. Um, I finished my marketing degree and it it now just hangs nicely in the study and is not utilised at all. But it's there. Um, And, yeah, and instead I went down that media path because I just thought, you know, why not? I enjoy it. May as well give it a crack. Yeah. And obviously that's your choice, like media. Like do you think any one day that will eventually ever happen or you can combine the two or – Media marketing? Yeah, probably. Uh, they Never seen they that do off. go hand in hand with each other. You know, you probably need to be able to go and market yourself and promote yourself. And I haven't really done much of that well. So I guess you could tie in marketing that way. Or, yeah, there'll definitely be a time where I will go back to it because I think marketing is a fantastic job and industry to be in. It's so interesting. So probably one day I'll go back into that. Um, but for now, I'm definitely enjoying the – media side of things yeah and now now you're doing like the big sports breakfast um yep. how long have you been doing that for now it's been, it's been been a couple of years now so the big sports breakfast um is a show that i've actually been doing right from early days so right but i was someone i would just come on for a one-off spot once a week gotcha and when I was the marketing manager of Sky Racing, the Big Sports Breakfast also fell under that. So I would do their marketing and then I would do one spot weekly um, and then that grew into a, a couple of times a week. But I became full-time on the show two years ago. So, well, 2020. So Archer was four months old when I started the job. So I read the news on there and then a panellist on the show as well. So... Look, it's a it's a great job. We start, I get up at 3.30 in the morning, um, do the show, but it ties in quite nicely with my swim because it means I finish early, but then I can go and train and fit in all these hours for my English Channel swim. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that then. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before about the English Channel swim. So how did this all come about? Who were the people that were... I do believe it was your husband that actually sort of yeah. suggested suggested this. So tell us a little bit how this all come about and how you, how you got involved with it. So a, a woman, an Australian lady called Chloe McArdle, she's just broken the world record for the amount of channel crossings at 44. So two years ago, um, she was attempting to break the men's record of the channel crossings, which I believe from memory was 34. 
And I was updating her progress on air and I was saying to our, I was hosting at that time um, with Laurie Daly and Michael Clark while Jared was on leave. And I was updating all of our listeners how she was going. And Laurie said to me, Jamie, you need a challenge. And I said to him, well, I was actually considering doing a 5K swimming race. And Laurie said, oh, 5Ks, that's way too easy for you. And in my head, I was thinking, well, 5Ks is actually really hard in the ocean. Like, that's a big swim. I laugh now because 5Ks is what we do all the time. But at that point, I thought 5Ks in the ocean because I'm a pool swimmer. I wasn't an ocean swimmer. Anyway, so, I got so what, what's, uh, sorry, sorry uh, can you just explain a little bit about the ocean and the, the pool or like, like the sort of difference? Obviously, with this, well, it's, it's, the waves and... Yeah, and, you know, when you're in the pool, you know what you're going to get. You follow the black line, you go straight, there's no waves. Yeah, you might hit arms with another swimmer, but it's very neat, it's very orderly, Whereas when, and you can stop at the end of the lane when you do your tumble turn. It's also a quick time to catch your breath. When you're out in the ocean, you're battling currents, waves, yes. really cold water, you're battling jelly fish you, yes. you get stung by blue bottles you don't have that. a chance to, to yeah. stop so whenever there is no time to catch your breath because you I mean you tread water and have something to eat with a gel or something but you're still treading water whereas in the pool you, you're standing there um, not actually exercising while you have your water whereas in, in the ocean there is none of that you have to tweak your stroke as well because in the pool it's all very streamlined. It's all aimed at going quickly, whereas in the ocean it's about protecting your shoulders so you go a bit deeper so that when the waves are coming through you don't hurt your shoulder joint. So I've had to learn a different technique to be able to suit the open water conditions and being able to go on and on and on and on and on for hours and hours and hours at a time. So that's the big difference. So going from a pool to the ocean um i have had lessons with my swimming coach to tweak my stroke to make sure that i can sustain the english channel 35ks yeah and i just saw on an instagram uh a picture that you weren't able to actually last time you you went out you weren't supposed to go it was too rough like with the waves yeah so we um at the moment up in queensland they've had a cyclone and it's made these enormous conditions down here in New South Wales and last Saturday going out into the ocean these waves were huge like I can't even describe like they were so big and so strong and mm. a group of swimmers we were all still going out there wow. you do need to battle all the different conditions yeah. and I went out and I started getting out there and just this huge wave came and I was right on the sand and it just sucked me up and then sucked me back down. And then that freaked me out. And then as I finally got up, another massive wave came over and took oh, me. Yeah. I just thought, you know what? I've got to get out. I am getting out. And I just <laughs> sprinted and I just watched from the shore as everyone else went off and continued their swim. So you don't have the conditions like that in a swimming pool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sorry. So let's get back to the uh, the story of how you did this English Channel like. Yeah, so it's Dave, um, my husband, when I came home after that morning show and he said, well, you should swim the English Channel. And I looked at him and said, uh, no, I could not think of anything worse. <laughs> and and he said again, he's like, oh, but you've been talking about it so much. You love that Chloe McArdle. And I said to him, yeah, I like Chloe McArdle, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go and copy what she's doing. <laughs> yes. Um, but then the thing about me is like when you – 
plant a seed and you start to look into it a little bit more and you start to find yourself almost obsessing over the idea of this English Channel and the next thing I was researching the pilots and trying to find a spot and you know it was a two-year wait so um, yeah before I knew it I was booked in to do it and I just became obsessed with the idea and then I was researching where I can go and train and um, yeah so I'm with a group called Vlad Swim who have currently there's eight of us that are all training to swim the English Channel this year and I'm swimming with past English Channel swimmers or North Channel swimmers and yeah so I'm surrounded by a wealth of knowledge um, and a group there's yeah eight of us that are all swimming together ready for the year. So it's very interesting, like uh, doing some reading on this. Like it says how, how you have to prepare. Like like you said before, we like jellyfish as well, and being able to swim like at midnight, like the yeah. like the, the no, it'd be summer, but it's, it's still summer, it'll still be but it's cold. Still cold. Yeah. yeah. So we have we'll do a cold water camp um, here in Sydney, and the water will be about twelve degrees, and we spend eight hours at a time in that twelve degree water, and we'll do that for a week. Uh, plenty of just it's just getting up my kilometers um, we're sort of up to that 15 k's now which is about five hours of swimming um, just the biggest thing for me is getting used to the cold water I tend to get cold quite quickly so I need to practice eating really fast you know you don't want to be stopped for more than 30 seconds you can't touch anything so you just quickly tread water have something to eat and then quickly go because you can't wear a wetsuit in the English Channel it's just your swimmers and a bit of that fat that you can put over yourself yeah, what are you eating there while you swim? So it's a mixture of different gels. I've been using spring energy or I've been doing these cliff bars, but you chop them up into small pieces so that you can just quickly have a few pieces. I've This is why it's important that you go out and train and eat while you're out training so that you can see what upsets your stomach because right. you almost get a bit of motion sickness from all the waves and all the salt water that you swallow and you you do actually get really upset stomach so you've got to practice what doesn't make you feel worse or what can help and I've just noticed I actually need to eat actual food so we have a kayaker that comes out with us um, and so that's why I'm able to have a muesli bar or a banana but you just chop it up into small pieces so I can just quickly have some and then away you go um, water with a bit of olive oil in it so you've got a little bit of fat in your drink um, because things like Gatorade has got so many electrolytes, you don't want to have too many when you're swimming in the ocean. Yeah, so it's all this just learning what works and what doesn't because what works for me probably doesn't work for someone else. So it is just all that trial and error really and that's why it's so important to train as much as I am. Yeah, exactly. And it says that you got you got a sponsor too. Uh, you're doing you're wanting to raise $50,000 for the Gotcha for Life program. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So Got You For Life is a charity that was started by a gentleman here called Gus Warland. He is a media personality that a lot of your listeners have probably heard him yes. on Triple M and he's just one of life's amazing people and he started this charity with the aim of making the suicide number in Australia down to zero because the statistics are frightening you know in 2020 there was more than 3,000 people that committed suicide which is nine people a day and it's actually the number one cause of death for 15 to 44 year olds so when you hear stats like that and for me I'm a mum of two boys who you can probably now hear screaming out <laughs> they've come inside and they're fighting horrendously um but I'm a mum of two boys and I think 
for me, and I don't want to generalize, and because obviously you're a male, and no doubt with plenty of male listeners, I I think that men tend to keep their emotions internal. So Absolutely. as a mum of two boys, when I hear stats like that, it just really freaks me out in a way. And I and I wanted to do my part in bringing that number down to zero as well, and trying to raise awareness around mental health and bringing down any stigmas about it, and just to get people talking about it. And so I thought during this COVID impacted period, as I said at the start of the podcast, that everyone's been impacted in their own way. Um, everyone has suffered in some capacity. And the English Channel is going to be 80% mental, 20% physical. So I thought this is a nice tie in. It's a mental challenge for me, but it's a great way to raise awareness about this charity, raise some funds, and do my part to bring the suicides down to zero. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. And I go from my family and like uh, my dad, <laughs> like my dad. Oh, I don't want to bother you, Craig. Like if he if he had an accident or something at work or he, mm. he did something he did something like that health health related. Oh, I didn't want to bother you, Craig. You know you're working or something like that. And it's like, Dad, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you just talk to me. Yeah, we can talk yeah. about it. Yeah, have, yeah, have a chat. Exactly. You know, it's, it's like you're a human. Just. <laughs> things like this happen. Exactly. And it's really important to have that conversation and to find as well, like your buddy that you always have someone that you can talk to if you're going through a tough time and Gotcha for Life puts out a lot of programs in schools and in workplaces to try and raise that mental fitness and help you find that friend that you can always confide in and talk to. And yeah, so it's a, it's a really lovely charity doing wonderful things. And that's why I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, well done. And uh, I just wanted to ask, like, uh, just in general now, like, have you had sort of a a crazy moment where you're live on stage and you've forgotten your words or, you know, something's happened or you've said the wrong name or, you know, can you think of a time when that's happened? Um, I've definitely had lots of blunders on air, Um, you know, probably when I was doing Sky Racing and I remember sitting there we were live and I just you just sort of have moments where you just forget that you're live because you'll be waiting for a race to go or something and I remember someone coming into my ear saying can you move your drink bottle and I just (laughs) saying, I'm sorry what was that and that was live so that went around to every pub and club and household that had sky racing on I was literally just talking to this person and literally kept saying sorry what was that I missed that can you repeat it and that went to that was live um but I've had a few times where, you know, you've misheard a question and you respond with the complete wrong answer and the listeners will just think you're an idiot rather than you didn't hear it properly. They'll just think, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Um, but, yeah, but otherwise I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I've had. I mean, what a, when Fletch, um, they had a little mini crocodile on the set of the Matty John show and they threw it at me and we were pregnant. I was pregnant and we were all sort of like were falling off the stage and there's vision of Fletch pushing me off the stage. Um, oh, that yeah. was a very funny behind-the-scenes moment. Um, but, yeah, but I'm lucky. I have haven't had too many blunders, but there's certainly a few of them out there. Yeah. And outside, uh, outside of swimming, a family as well. So how does that all work? Um, I, I read that you have a real good sort of network of, of family and friends. And so, so how does that all work for you? Yeah, so for me, it's definitely um, routine. I'm 
I think this comes from my swimming days. I am a stickler for a routine. My kids are on a routine. And I think it's the only way that you can fit everything in is by just being really regimented. And yeah, and I'm lucky I do have my mum helps me a lot when she, if they're not at daycare or there's an overlap between where my husband is to go and before I get home. Um, and I've got, and we've also got a really lovely babysitter, Lucy, who the boys adore, um, and we use her a, a bit as well. But I am lucky because I do finish work early. Mm. I can then, like, I, I'm finished work at quarter past nine, so I'm nice. finished when most people are starting. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's why this this fits in where I can, I still can afford to go and train for two hours during the day because I'm then still home before lunchtime, and then I take over with the boys and we go and do their activities in the afternoon um, and then we're all in bed at seven we all go to bed very early in this house because um, I get up at 3 30 and then the boys are all usually up about five so we're all early to bed and early to rise but I just think the the biggest thing for everyone is just routine and and being strict with that and is that also uh, similar to like your diet as well I mean uh, you know I just see you in the media on tv so I always see like very healthy, very fit sort of person. So is that sort of dissimilar as well, like keeping yeah, your routine? Yeah, I've always been um, pretty healthy with my diet because I feel like if you're expecting your body to perform, you need to be fueling it with the right food. And I studied nutrition as one of my subjects when I did that sport and exercise management degree. Mm. Um and studying nutrition and all the sports science behind it, it, it's just so important. And so, yes, I think we all eat pretty healthy here. Don't get me wrong, my boys, like they literally just had cupcakes before. Um, <laughs> so we, it's all about balance. I, I would never say I'm on a diet, but I'm just really healthy and I just try and eat as much fresh food as possible and try and keep it as, as literally as healthy as I can because – you put your body through the ringer, so you've got to expect to, if you want it to perform, you've got to give it the right fuel so it can do that. Yeah, absolutely. On your downtime, uh, I've seen that it, you mentioned before that you're a Roosters fan. Do you get a chance to go out to the, the football stadium? I also saw that you're, uh, you've been to the Kings games, the Sydney Kings, the basketball. Yeah. You know, tell us a bit you know, on your downside what you like to do. Yeah, so in my um, downtime, it's still because I've got my two kids and – um, husband and my friends so a lot of our stuff is still sports related so I try mm. and get to you know Sydney Kings games we actually get to quite a lot because it's a family friendly time slot you know yes. you go at three o'clock on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and you know it's your home earlier early evening so we tend to get out to the basketball we definitely go out to the footy my husband's a diehard Hawthorne fan so whenever oh. Hawthorne's playing up here versus Sydney we're always there as well and yes yeah so we tend to we're quite an active family, so whether we're out watching sport or we'll be, you know, at the park or at the beach or doing something, we're always outside doing something. Um, but, yeah, in the downtime, it's just family time or spending with my friends and, yeah, whether it's outside or just doing something together. Your kids, uh, are they going to be following mum footsteps or are they wanting to do other sports? Well, Hudson always says how much he likes basketball and he's oh. going to be really tall. My my in-laws are all very tall. They're six foot six. So I think oh, Hudson's right. sort of heading in that direction. He's really tall. Um, whereas Archer seems to love the water. 
So oh. I am definitely encouraging that. Um, but yeah. definitely they can do whatever they want. But it would be nice if they were in the sports world. But as as long as they do something to keep them busy so that they don't get themselves into trouble, I don't mind what it is. As long as they find their passion, they like to do something, that would be happy with me. Absolutely. And uh, talking about NRL, uh, I'm a big fan myself. I'm a big Knights fan. Tell us about the the Roosters for for this year. Do you like their chances? I've seen a couple of sort of predictions already, and it looks like the Roosters, uh, even though they didn't win it last year, they it looks like the favourites to win it this year. So the Roosters are always up there. Like they've been um, in terms of like favourites, they're sort of in the top four of the market the past few years because they are such a good team under Trent yes. Robinson. He just continues yeah. to do brilliantly. Yes. But then Melbourne's always seems to be there. And I of feel course. like every year at the start of the year, we always say, oh, no, Melbourne can't win. Melbourne goes yes. this year. And then they end up coming and surprising us all. So, yeah, look, let's just hope for a really great season without injuries because the Roosters have been decimated in the past with um, season crippling injuries. Um, so if we can just get through unscathed and do well, it'll be great. You'd be the, probably one of the best people to talk about. You're always in the in the news and, and the media. So is it going to go ahead as normal or ha- have you heard anything about that or, or is it just take it as it comes at, the, at this stage? I haven't heard anything yet, but I would imagine it's just going to go ahead as normal. The NRL have done a brilliant job during COVID. They were the oh, first yes. sport to resume um, under Peter Volandis. They've just they go from strength to strength. So I would be very surprised if it doesn't go ahead as normal or they might do a bubble situation. It just depends on how this Omicron variant continues to spread here in New South Wales and Victoria in particular. Um, But yeah, so I'll be very interested to see, uh, but no doubt they'll do a very, very good job. They've been so good throughout this pandemic and I would be surprised if they weren't again. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I'm missing uh, not being in Australia uh, is Melbourne Cup. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I've seen pictures of you at Melbourne Cup, obviously, you know, being in the media as well. So what are some of the highlights uh, for you being, you know, uh, for Melbourne Cup? Um, Probably when I've tipped the Quinella or the winner of the Melbourne Cup. I always like that so I can rub it into the boys on the Big Sports Breakfast. <laughs> uh, that's always great. Um, but it's just the atmosphere of being at the track. I mean, Victoria does it really well, although I've got to say Sydney have now lifted their game with uh, the Tab Everest and things like that. So we we now are up there for that springtime. But Melbourne Cup, when you come back here, Melbourne Cup is definitely one that everyone needs to put on their calendar because it ties in nicely. You can do the Melbourne Cup, you can do the Tab Everest here in Sydney, and, yeah, you're, you'll be just loving it. Yeah. All right, Jamie, let's get close to wrapping up here. So what advice would you give to, you know, an inspiring person that wants to get into media or wants to uh, be like a professional swimmer? What advice would you give to a, a youngster? I think for in terms of the media world, I think it's really important to stay true to yourself and to just never give up. And I know that people do say that, but in all honesty, just Never, never, ever, ever give up. No matter how many times people say no or people say you can't do it or you're not good enough and I've had that said to me on more times than I can tell you and you just have to make sure that you don't listen to the negative feedback or the negative talk and just believe in yourself, stay true to yourself and just never, ever, ever give up. And then with the swimming, if you want to get into it, go and register at a local swim school and just start with baby steps. Don't expect to get into the water and 
belt out 5Ks. It's literally get in, go go swim with a swim school or aim for one lap. The next time you go, aim for three, aim for five, and just bit by bit, slowly build up, and you'll be amazed at how quickly you can build up your fitness in the pool. It's it's so interesting, like when, uh, you know, when I travel overseas and I tell people that swimming is like a subject at school in Australia. I mean, we used to go to the pool yeah. uh, every every Thursday for sport and yeah. learn how to swim that way. And they and people like uh, that I've met overseas, like I don't even know how to swim, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you're doing it as a sport. I mean, I mean, it's just, just goes to show how good, uh, you know, we are here in Australia and uh, being able to do that. So is it a popular sport, uh, Jamie? Like, like, is it still popular, like swimming? Look, I always say to people after the 2012 Olympics, people didn't want a bar of swimming. Um, in terms of following our Olympians, but we have just had the most successful Olympics that we've had in in such a long time. And we've got beautiful swimmers coming through that I think parents will encourage their kids to look up to and want to follow in their footsteps. So I think swimming is still popular. The learn to swim are still jam-packed and it's just keeping them involved in the swimming. Once you've learned how to swim, it's keeping them in there to do squads and hopefully then go on through the ranks. So I think that's all happening because we've now got a a great crop of swimmers coming through that little kids can look up to and want to be. Yeah, And tell us about social medias, uh, Jamie, where, where can we find you for our international listeners as well? So I am, my Instagram and Twitter handles are the same. It's just Jamie underscore Rogers, which is J-A-I-M-E-E underscore Rogers. And it's the same across Twitter and Instagram. And how do we donate the cause of your swing So the best way to do it is if you actually go onto my Instagram page, I've got a link in my bio because it's actually quite a long link that Got You For Life have set up. So if you just click on that, it's straight through to the donating page. And it will also just give you a little bit more info and background and you can also read about the charity there as well. So it's just easy if you find me on social media or if you go to the Got You For Life website, you can donate straight there as well. Absolutely. All right. Quickly before I go, Jamie, I'd like to ask like some quick, uh, some quick questions. Uh, get to know you uh, a little bit. Are you ready to go? Yes. Okay. We haven't spoke about music yet. Uh, so what sort of uh, bands or singers, what are your top two or three favourite musicians? I've always just been more into like the, the dance music, like the Martin Solveig's. I think there's a new song out at the moment, A Craze. Who else? Yeah, just I just like to put on all the, the dance type music. I'm more dance of the like... Dance. Dance. <laughs> <laughs> Get you moving. Get your flat yeah. for the. We talked about it before. What are your top uh, two or three sort of favorite sporting teams? Uh, Chicago Bulls, the Roosters, and the Sydney Sixers. Right. And uh, three places that you've been internationally, top three favorite spots, and three international destinations that you would like to go in the future. So my top three favourite would have to be, I've been to, I reckon New York would be my favourite, um, and then Belgium, and probably quite liked Paris. And where do you want to go in the future? I would love to go Portugal, Croatia, and the Amalfi Coast. Right. Uh, this is a tough one. What are your two or three uh, all-time favourite uh, sports stars that you've seen live? Oh, that I've seen live? 
So it would definitely be some of the top three that I've seen live. Um, Anthony Minicello from the Roosters. Mm, good choice. Ash Barty for tennis. Oh, Derek Rose. When I went and saw it at the Bulls. Oh, yeah. very nice. And a final question. Uh, who is your greatest inspiration slash hero? So my greatest inspiration. And why? And why? Well, I have to say at the moment, my my greatest inspiration has to be Chloe McArdle and what she's achieved with the English Channel that 44 times, just as I'm going on this journey and I have her to thank for me going on this. So she's my inspiration at this point in my life. Um, not always, but definitely during this period, because as I'm chasing my first English Channel crossing and I'll be chasing what well, she's done 44. I mean, look, my hero that I have always loved was Michael Klim. That's no secret. Oh. Everyone knows I love Because him. actually, I actually saw a photo with you on Instagram with yeah. Michael Klim. <laughs> so it's a so running joke. what was that actually? Yeah. He's, um, he knows it. We had to, we interviewed him on the Big Sports Breakfast and they made me come right. and said to him, you do know that Jamie's had you as her hero and favourite athlete forever. So it's probably, yeah, it would have to be Michael Klim. He's, <laughs> he's my favourite. And uh, racing uh, as well, uh, uh, you you have two horses yourself, is that true? So I've got um, Ruby Kisses is racing at the yes. moment. Yeah, so she is hopefully going to be racing at Magic Millions on Saturday. We find out on Monday whether she makes the field, um, which is really exciting. So this is an all-female syndication. And I try and get women involved in racing just because I want to get more females involved in the sport because I love it and I think that other people would love it when yeah. they get to know it. Um, and so this is an all-female syndication. So Magic Millions have incentives for all-female ownership group. You get extra prize money on the side um, just as another way to get more women involved. So hopefully, fingers crossed, Ruby will be racing at Magic Millions. Good luck with all that. Thank you very much, Jamie, for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, all the best for the English Channel. Uh, it's going to be in, in August. Is there an actual date uh, for that? It just says August 2022. Yes, you get given a window, so it's between the 3rd and 8th of August. So I'll be somewhere around and there. Please go to Jamie's uh, Instagram and you can go to the Gotcha for Life, uh, sign up, and you can uh, donate uh, to a very, very good cause. Thank you very much, Jamie. Amazing career. All the best for your future and family. Look forward to seeing you more on the TV. Thanks so much, Craig. It was great chatting to you. Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.